Hello, Robert Cruz here. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining the next in our series of podcasts exploring various elements of technology communications and how Smarsh can help our customers in, in managing their regulatory obligations. So this one is um, a good place to start, which is to explore the role of compliance officers as it pertains to electronic communication. How are they managing information? So we're going to explore some things that are obviously very timely because of the recent regulatory fines that have happened uh, for some of the, the multinational banks. Clearly, there's implications for firms across the spectrum. And also, obviously, we're also faced with a very uncertain um, economic climate, and that's affecting um, the financial sector and, and the economies around the world. So I think the role of information and how compliance officers are identifying and managing risk, I think, is a very timely discussion for us to, to have today. So I'm um, pleased to be joined by uh, two of our regulatory advisors, uh, Tiffany Magri in the U.S. and Sean Hurst here in the U.K. And I'm going to start with um, with Tiffany and, and just first ask her to provide an introduction. But I want to just look at Tiffany, your previous role in, in kind of being a compliance officer and just, you know, your thoughts on how you've dealt with electronic communications. What are your thoughts in terms of the compliance officer and, you know, how important electronic communications are as part of their jobs? Hi, thank you, Robert. Um, so my name is Tiffany Magri, as you mentioned. I've spent over 12 years monitoring and evaluating consulting and financial services landscape whether that's been laws and regulations, policies, procedures, and risk management for small, medium, and large firms. So I think you bring a unique perspective to, particularly in a down market, compliance teams are really tasked with trying to figure out how to do more with less. We generally aren't seen as a revenue generating department. So a lot of times we're really having to think outside the box and explore new efficiencies with the with the different processes, streamlining processes, and really trying to spot risks and how, how we um, posture ourselves within the organization is, is being compliant and you know getting those trainings out and making sure we're staying on top of what's happening in, in the environment internally and externally becomes a lot more important in, in these types of environments. Thanks, Tiffany, and um, thanks for joining. <clears throat> Let me hand it over to Sean. Sean is our regulatory advisor and, and also offers a unique perspective here in um, having experience both within the financial services industry it's his, itself and also serving on the technology side and being a technologist. So, Sean, let me let me ask you for your perspective, um, you know, through your lens in the UK, how are you thinking about electronic communications? How have, how have you done that in your previous capacities uh, in, in the compliance function? Thanks, Robert. Yeah, so my name is Sean, and uh, I, I work for Smash as a regulatory advisor. I have many years, as Tiffany does, in, in the banking sector. I worked for a large American bank, and to frame uh, the answer that I'm going to give to your question, Robert, I was working for this bank during the last big recession back in 2006, 2008. And there were some significant things that were happening at that time that we were trying to resolve from a technology perspective. There was increased scrutiny from the regulators. And the thing is, nothing really changes. I think it's only the complexity of things that change. The regulators are still going to be giving increased oversight when we have this sort of situation where we're heading into a recession, where we're heading into a situation of, of a down market. And 
it was quite interesting to see how that all worked out in 2000, 2008, because I think it was, it, it, it kind of came as a bit of a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, it felt like it came out of nowhere, but obviously it didn't. There was a lot that led up to it. This time around, this has been coming for a little while, and there are certain events like the conflict in Ukraine that have really escalated this uh, downturn. And what we're seeing different, what I'm what I'm seeing different this time around is just that complexity of the, the sheer number of communication channels that people have to deal with. When you're working in a compliance team, you know a core a core tool that you have is to be able to monitor communications. Today, the just the number of channels is is vast, and and that's going to create its own problems. Not only do you have to account for all these channels, control who's using them, how people are communicating with their clients, but also how do you monitor for it? How do you record all this information? How do you how do you store it in a compliant manner? And then you've got a few downstream issues to deal with as well. How do you now monitor for this? How do you surveil this information and do it in an effective way that the regulators are going to be pleased? So. I think there's certainly going to be some challenging times ahead with compliance, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how people approach this. Hmm. Interesting. And Sean, let me go back to what you just said regarding 2008, 2009. It seems like you know, you know, approaching that economic challenging period. This, you know, back then we were just starting to get used to the idea of of text messaging. You know, we were probably still on email and. You know the 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 advanced were on MySpace, and so now, you know, we have this this proliferation of communication tools. Yeah, exactly. So you know, the risk surface area has just expanded exponentially. So you know, as Tiffany mentioned, you know, more issues arising with uh, or inversely proportionate to the economic situation. How does one deal with this reality now? Um, well, given that this risk surface area being so large and limited resources that firms are now faced with. Well, what's fascinating with what you just said, you know, bringing back memories of MySpace and uh, platforms like that, and and then just mentioning the mobile phone. Think about how things have changed with the mobile phone just in the last 20 years. Back in 2006, not everybody had a smartphone. Today, there are people that have two smartphones, right? And I'd argue that pretty much, well, everyone on this call I know has a smartphone. It's just the normal now. And with that brings along the ability to just install an app within a couple seconds that allows you to now communicate in a whole new way, right? I have on my phone, on my personal phone, I have probably 15 different communication apps that I use. Not that I choose to, but people, people have their preferences as to how they communicate. Now, if that's just me as one individual, what about taking 10 individuals and seeing the different apps that they have on their phones and then trying to spread that out in terms of how you're monitoring your employees who also have these smartphones? I mean, that in itself is a massive challenge. Now, we try and approach it from the most common perspective. We try and look at apps that are most commonly used, like WhatsApp uh, here in Europe. And I'm not sure, Robert, what the proliferation of WhatsApp is out in the US, but I know in Europe, that's that's one of the core platforms. WeChat is another big one, uh, more so in Asia, but uh, it's becoming it's becoming more and more prolific elsewhere as well. Yes. But just keeping on top of all these communication channels, just knowing what they are, and there's new ones coming out all the time, that in itself is difficult. And then thinking about how do you actually capture this information? How do you keep on top of it? And, and and that's not, you know, obviously we work for a company that deals with communications compliance. 
but it's not just about dealing with capturing this communication, surveilling the communications. But I think a big thing that shouldn't be overlooked is compliance teams need to look at their policies and procedures and making sure they control who is accessing what, how they're using it, and and where they're using it. Good. Tiffany, you know, your perspective here and, you know, the work that you've done in, in the past with some of the smaller um, firms, um, you know, on the RIA and, and broker-dealer side, um, you know, we're having these conversations every day now about, you know, the, the crypto market being on Telegram and the growth and, and, and adoption of TikTok and, and all these new communication tools that, you know, in part are driven by the growth of Gen Z investors, the retail segment having such more of an effect on the overall market. How, how did that affect you when you were in that role? And what do you see firms struggling with today? No, I think you guys hit the nail on the head when you said today's risk looks a lot different than it did many years ago when we entered the last recession, where traditionally you might be looking at you know email or text, and now we've integrated all these new channels in as well as social media. And because of this newer generation and the way they're demanding you know information, it's harder to ignore the the aspect of that where our smaller RAAs or smaller BDs want to come in and they want to communicate on these channels, but they're struggling with all the the compliance um, requirements that are going to go with that. So I think for the smaller firms, it's really trying to stay competitive in a market where you have this generation who's now demanding these different communication tools. It it just becomes a lot more of a challenge to review and um, find efficiencies in, in those reviews. But that, that information is something that a lot of these firms really, really want to do, and they want to make sure that they're doing it in a compliant manner. Right. So final question here, and I'll, let me start with you, Tiffany, because, you know, we're, we're talking about all the social um, technologies that have evolved. And, you know, maybe this is all a, a Gen Z conspiracy. But at the same time, you know, we're working every day on Teams and Zoom and, and these collaborative platforms that have uh, video and voice and whiteboards and persistent interactions with multiple parties. I mean, how are how are firms addressing this risk surface area, just considering all the modalities, all the ways that people can can engage? Um, are, are firms kind of keeping up with, you know, the variety of information that, that firms are having to deal with? I think a lot of the firms are still trying to catch up with some of those different things. We were sort of forced into it during the pandemic and we're still trying to figure out how to do it in the, in the best way. So I think a lot of people are are really trying to you know, make sure that they have best practices. They've gone back and looked at their policies and procedures um, and just making sure that they can understand the different technologies because each one is different and how you review them are different. I mean, just think of the difference between <laughs> Teams and, and email, I mean, the way you interact with them and the applications that you can add to Teams and, the you know, the chat features and things like that, just add a different layer to, to your uh, compliance obligations here. We've seen a lot of people coming up and doing some really great new best practices around these, like video content protocols, developing new uh, practices around things like live stream public appearances and video blogs. So it's definitely catching up. And there's even been some some talk around voice, which I know traditionally in a lot of the firms that we've, we've kind of not been capturing voice and reviewing voice. I also think it's really important that as we look at the across these different channels of communications, that people really understand that the information that you're going to gain out of the insights from these communications is really key to your organization and making sure that you're spotting risk earlier and you're spotting it more effectively. So I think as we add all these different uh, issues and surface area to our compliance programs, we really can you know, utilize that information to do better and be better with our risk. 
Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And Sean, let me just ask you the, the other aspect of this, which is, you know, we, we get a lot of questions both in Europe and the U.S. about, you know, what are the regulatory requirements around voice or video? But I think it, it, it's it's kind of a really broader topic, though, of, as, of there potentially is risk in, you know, things happen like Zoom bombing and Slack bullying. And, you know, it potentially could bring all sorts of misbehavior. Just the only difference now that's happening in the in the virtual world as opposed to the physical world. So, so how do you see this from a, the technological aspect, just the fact that all of these communication modalities are so different? Well, I think... In, in in Europe, at least, the, the the need to capture voice has been a requirement for a little while now. With MIFID two, it's made it clear that voice needs to be captured and needs to be considered in the same way that all your other communications are considered. Video, I don't think is too far behind. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the next iteration of MIFID, MIFID three, or, or whatever it might look like, actually says you know video is something that is a requirement now to capture. Uh, reading between the lines. Video is kind of required, but uh, I think that's it's a bit difficult to argue because at this moment um, that is still quite a challenge, right? It takes up a lot of data, it takes up a lot of storage, and uh, a lot of oversight as well. So we'll see how that progresses. I know that at Smash we are working always at, at being at the forefront of these things, making sure that we can review things like video in the most efficient manner. Now. The other side of it, though, I think what needs to be taken into consideration, and we, we kind of said this in the beginning of this podcast, the regulators during a, a period of time like we're in right now, heading into a recession, they are going to be far more stringent. They're not going to be relaxed. They're not going to give you chances. They know that this is a time where you know, there might be some desperation from investors resulting in increased risk-taking and potentially making some bad choices. And they want the regulators want to help avoid these individuals getting taken advantage of. And I'm sure that financial services institutions also want to avoid that as well, right? They want to protect their um, reputation and they want to protect their clients. So they it's in their interest to be capturing all this information, even if it isn't mandatory, even if it isn't mandatory to capture these video conference calls. If you're having a video conference with your clients, make sure that you're capturing it because you need to be able to do, even if it's a spot review, go back and have a look and just make sure that people are doing the right thing. When it comes to what you're saying before around the security aspect, absolutely. Uh, that needs to be a hundred percent monitored. It needs to be taken into account uh, with technology moving along so quickly, the ability to, you know, like you say, zoom bomb and uh, you know, people jumping onto calls without you knowing it. That really, it's a tough one because that technology is shifting all the time. There's new features coming out in Zoom that allows these vectors of of risk to to be taken advantage of. But all that you can do is just make sure that there are good policies and procedures in place to monitor for these things. If you notice there's a name that, that is in your Zoom call that you don't recognize, there might be 50 people in there, but if you recognize a name or you don't recognize a name, something looks a bit off, maybe say something or remove that person, right? You know, there's things that need to be addressed like that. And, you know, and and a big part of that is just take account of your policies and procedures and make sure that they're taking account of the changes in the technology landscape. Right. And Sean, I'm going to follow up with a question that you mentioned, you know, for, for technologies that you are allowing employees to use, you have to have a reliable, secure means of capturing 
that content. I mean, that's true around the world across, you know, name the, the regulatory body. So this gets to the question of why do firms allow all of these new communication tools to be to be used? What's what's changing from your perspective in terms of how firms evaluate new tools that the business wants to use? Are they are they becoming more risk averse? Are they limiting the number of tools that they'll say yes to? I mean, we, we hear some firms supporting over a hundred different communication tools. So the the decision that firms make about which tools to accept and which to prohibit, how is that changing given the market situation, given the recent regulatory actions? What what do you see from from there, Sean? I think there's a little bit of tightening up happening again now, but what I've seen since the beginning of COVID, since the beginning of lockdown, is people embrace these technologies very quickly. They had to, because this was the only way that they're going to continue being able to provide the services to their clients. So they embrace these technologies where some firms were pulled kicking and screaming into that space, but they've realized, wait, there are some real benefits here to using and embracing these technologies. And I think that attitude has continued on. But now we get into a stage where people are starting to think again, like, okay, there's there's a big part of this that, yes, we need to embrace technology and do what we can to uh, improve our efficiencies and capabilities and also do what our client is is requesting of us, right? These The Gen Z, uh, new generation that are looking towards using more instant forms of communication or using the forms of communication that they're used to. They are looking at that and they're embracing that, but there's this flip side where they realize, wait, we can't have every communication tool on, under the sun available for our individuals to use or our staff to use because we have a responsibility to capture this information and also provide compliance around it. So I think that there is a bit of tightening up happening. They're reassessing what these tools can do because there is overlap. We know this, right? Microsoft Teams has a lot of the similar functionalities that Zoom has. And if there's that overlap, people are making decisions. Do we keep both tools? Is there something that Zoom does that Teams doesn't and we need to keep it? People are making those assessments now. And there's a bit of a a reverse digital transformation going on right now where we accelerated that hugely over the first two years of COVID. Now we're kind of taking a little bit of a more cautious approach. That That's what I'm seeing happening with many of our clients. Hmm. So we'll see how that progresses though. And I don't know, is that something you're seeing as well with, with people that you're speaking to, Robert? Yeah, Tiffany, I wanted to ask you that question. It's like from the broker-dealer perspective in the US, um, you know, clearly there's a lot more due diligence that goes into making that decision. But, you know, are broker-dealers kind of closing the window? Are, are they kind of determining which tools to decommission? How do you how do you see that in your interaction with with our customers? Yeah, I think there's always a, a hot new tool that everyone wants to look at and evaluate and use. Um, you know, the, the process that you have to put in place before those things start include policies and procedures and training. So it's not like you can just stand them up quickly. Um, a lot of times we've seen where you might have overlapping ones or where there's things like mergers and whatnot in large organizations where they have to go back and evaluate, you know, what are the benefits of this tool? Are we really putting a strain on our compliance resources? Can I integrate this into my review system so that I can review it in an effective way? So there's a lot of questions that have to take place before and during um, the use of these communication tools. I think we're definitely seeing probably some people rethinking some of, you know, do I really need all these hundred tools? What are we going to use these for? Um, but sometimes when people are used to using a tool, it's really hard to take that away from them and make them train on, an, on a new tool too. So you can have some internal um, 
pressures there to, to maintain some of these tools, but it's really a balancing act of finding the value and efficiencies in, in the tools you're using and making sure that you're using them properly to, to spot those risks. Right. I want to follow up with a, the question we often get about prohibition policies. You know, are they effective? And, you know, just as you've read through the language within the SEC um, release on the enforcement actions, you know, is just simply saying no sufficient, you know, just prohib- saying that this tool is prohibited. Is, is that the end of the obligation or are firms being asked to do more to ensure that the, the prohibited tools, the unapproved communication networks are still not in use somewhere out in their company? Yeah, unfortunately, the days of just having a prohibition policy in your policies and procedures is, is probably gone. I think we've seen very aggressive posture from the regulators that have come out and pretty much said you, can, you can't just prohibit things. If you're prohibiting, how are you proving that your prohibitions work? Do you have some kind of search mechanism that's that's making sure that those things aren't happening? Are you looking for if you prohibit things like text, are you looking for messaging in your emails that show that text isn't happening? So there's ways that you can kind of make sure that you're setting up to to look at your current communication channels to see if off-channel communications are happening. So we've seen that a lot. Traditionally, people would also do attestations. Uh, I've seen the regulators come out and say, you know, attestations aren't just enough anymore. So we really need to make sure that if we're having a prohibition policy in place, we also have some kind of mechanism in place that's checking to make sure that those policies are actually working. I think we're going to continue to see a lot more off-channel communication sanctions coming out from regulators as they've taken notice that, you know, those those policies aren't, aren't actually very effective. Right. I think that's a great point. I think that came out very loud and clear from the SEC. And also, I think the statement that was made loud and clear is that, you know, this risk and, and the obligation to um, create the policies, procedures, attestations is not just confined to your regulated base. You know, some of these infractions were happening across the firm, uh, compliance staff, senior executives. So the SEC in the U.S. at least is saying very clearly you know, the risk is everywhere. And so you need to think about how supervisory and, and um, monitoring processes can be implemented in a way that can touch, you know, anywhere where this information might be uh, currently in use inappropriately. That's that's Sean, a, that's a yeah. great point, actually, Robert, because I think that traditionally many firms, even the larger firms, uh, would only be concentrating on their regulated individuals. You can't do that anymore. The tools are there for you to be able to do a lot more with the data and in a quicker amount of time in a more efficient way. So you should be doing it. And what I'm seeing, it's quite an interesting point that you're bringing up. We're alluding to the SEC fines that have been in the in the papers for the last few weeks. The UK and many of the European organizations, large banks, are scrambling to make sure that they are complying because the SEC are kind of leading the way on this. And I think that there's going to be some scrutiny definitely over here in Europe. It almost seems inevitable. I mean, think about this call where we're connected from different regions around the world and, you know, how much of your everyday business, if you're a multinational, you know, isn't of that variety where you may have a regulatory obligation in one market because of an individual being present. Um, it just feels like the the interconnectedness of, of us um, will lead the regulators elsewhere to kind of take, um, you know, take follow the, the message from the SEC. Sean, what does this what does this mean for 2023, well, for the balance of the year and 2023, the regulatory outlook. I mean, we've talked about, you know, the recent fines, the you know, the economic environment, et cetera. What, what, what does this 
What do you see around the corner or, or even just over the next few months in terms of the regulatory focus? I think people shouldn't rest on their laurels. Uh, what's coming in terms of what the regulators are going to do, I think it's going to be more of the same. There's going to be a lot of stringency around monitoring and oversight of these organizations just to make sure that they're towing the line, that they're not taking shortcuts, that they're not taking advantage of their clients. We saw in the UK recently a definitive action taken by the Bank of England when there was a potential risk of pensions defaulting. And that is, it's a clear statement that, you know, organizations like that uh, are going to be looking at what's going in this world, they, going on in, 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 in this region. And, and I'm sure it's going to happen the same way in, in the US if anything like that had to come by, that they would be making sure that people are getting protected. Now, that means at that time, it was, it was the Bank of England stepping in to, to make sure that things were, were uh, kept on the up and up. But it would also mean exactly the same thing in terms of making sure that that banks are not doing things the wrong way to to create risk for these individuals. So my advice to financial organizations is don't do the bare minimum. Don't rest in your laurels. Make sure that you're thinking ahead of what might be coming down the line and just just keep doing what you're doing. Just do it in, in the most efficient way that you possibly can. We understand your budgets aren't going to be increasing necessarily, but just do more with what you do already have. Excellent. Great, great, great insights. Tiffany, I'm going to ask you the same question, but it seems like um, you know the dyes have been cast in several areas already, as recent as uh, a few days ago with the update to the SEC storage rule, um, you know, coming enforcement from the marketing rule, finalization of the cybersecurity rule. We have quite a bit of things to look forward to over the next few few months. But what would you highlight, just in terms of you know what you would expect to see, both from the, the SEC as well as from Finra? Yeah, what we're seeing from the regulators right now is a very aggressive posture. We've seen um, information coming out from the SEC that they're doubling fines. We've seen information that there's over 50 new rules. I mean, that's a lot of rules for compliance firms to have to go through, evaluate, and, and integrate into their business, as well as sweep exams for off-channel communications. They're now making people admit to violations where that wasn't traditionally done in the past. And the regulators are saying they're expecting a more proactive compliance from people, as well as that telling them to take notice of off-channel communications. So I think we're really going to see a lot more responsibility on this on this uh, CCO and the senior staff to make sure that they have adequate compliance policies and procedures in place. And if you haven't looked at some of these things that they're showing all these aggressive postures on, like the time is now, like don't wait, it's already here. Um, in addition to that, I would just add that, you know, a lot of people are thinking, you know, is this just, are we just gonna see these signs in, the, in some of these larger organizations? Well, the answer is no. We've already seen them starting to trickle down into organizations of all size, um, most recently, I saw a, 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 a off-channel communication come out in the past few weeks that was was a smaller was a smaller mid-sized firm. So they are coming. They um, are you know with their sweep exams, they're going to be looking at some very basic information and then coming up with probably some some very uh, um, interesting second questions for some of these firms that have have not been able to get a handle on these. So I would just you know caution people to watch for this aggressive posture and make sure that you're you're preparing for that. 
Awesome. Yeah, totally agree with both of you. Um, the environment has definitely changed with respect to the regulatory message to be proactive, to kind of stay in front of where technology is going, because the cost of the false negative has just exploded. And firms now, you know, have a much bigger stake in making sure that they're on top of which communication tools are being used. They, you know, have a process to inspect for the use of prohibited networks. They have good, solid attestation and training programs. And, and you know, as Sean said, first and foremost, it's it's really about kind of creating this concept of a culture of compliance, making sure that, you know, employees have the right in Incentives. The message comes from senior management that, you know, these sorts of behaviors happening in all of these digital tools, you know, has real consequences to the business, not just on the regulatory side, but, you know, in, you know, the future of your organization. So very, very strong and very clear message from the regulators. And I think as we've all talked about here, you know, it really will have an effect on how compliance officers think about their role and, and their relationship with, with information and electronic communications. So, Terrific discussion. I really appreciate both of you sharing your time and your insights. And I thank you for joining this podcast and I encourage you to, to join our future podcast where we're going to continue to explore different dimensions of how firms are dealing with technology, how they are addressing areas that are emerging, and how are they staying in front of the risk. So hope you can join us in one of those future podcasts and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Robert. And uh, thank you, Tiffany. Thank you both. Have an excellent day. Thank you.